Welcome to the Triathlete Hour. This week, we have a fun episode all about ITU racing, now known as World Triathlon. Our executive editor, Chris Foster, joins us because he used to race on the ITU circuit, was on the U.S. national team, trying to make the 2012 Olympics until he got hit by a car. He talks to us about how up and down ITU racing is, how hard it is, some of his craziest travel stories flying around the world to chase points, and why he got into it in the first place. Plus, he gives us kind of an inside scoop on what we should look for when we watch this weekend. This weekend is the Yokohama race that is the last automatic qualifying event for the American athletes for the Olympics this summer. What that means is it's going to be very dramatic and very exciting. And that's why we're giving you the inside scoop. Stay tuned after this break. Looking to improve your fitness and find great content? Check out our Active Pass membership program. Along with a Triathlete Magazine subscription and exclusive content across all our sister brands like Velo News and Yoga Journal, Active Pass includes access to training programs from today's plan, yoga and fitness courses to build strength and flexibility, meal plans from clean eating, and gear and event discounts. Right now, you can use Active Pass to help you build healthier habits in 2021. Go to triathlete.com backslash Active Pass to learn more. All right, this week we're joined by our own executive editor, Chris Foster, who used to be on the U.S. national team, raced all the ITU events, was trying to make the 2012 Olympic team, and you got hit by a car, Chris. Is that right? Yes, all of that's accurate. I am the executive <laughs> editor. I did, yeah, I was on the national team, and I did get hit by a car. Um, yeah, so I, I raced ITU for, um, I don't know, probably six, eight years, something like that. Um, and it is so intense like i mean like we were talking about this before like you drop a shoe it's over your goggle you know fills with water you miss the pack it's over like trip to europe over all that stuff um so it was yeah it was super brutal and obviously getting hit by a car derails things very badly right because you were i mean to be clear like you were basically the third guy you had three like you were pretty much like ready to and then I mean, obviously, it's never locked down. This is also the thing we're talking about. It's never locked down. Like, you never know for sure. And then what happened? Like, you, I mean, you were just out then, right? Yeah. So kind of the way it works is just to back up a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, like, when you're when you're racing ITU, there's three levels. There's, like, the Continental Cup world, level. World triathlon now, Chris. World triathlon. When you're racing, well, <laughs> when I was racing in the ITU, it wasn't called that. So I'm going to stick with what I know. Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, so when I was racing the ITU, um, there was continental cup, there was world cup, and then there's world triathlon series. Um, right. continental cup is like below minor leagues, kind of like you, you probably rarely know the names of the people doing these races, but they're, you know, they're flying to Latin America, they're flying to Australia, they're doing these little races here and there to pick up points you get enough points and you get starts at world cup races and you'll you'll start to recognize the names of world cup races you know matt McElroy does really well at world cup races for instance um and then from there you move up to the world triathlon series races um then and now they're what you said they're calling them like world triathlon championship series right, right, right. Now, right. world triathlon right. championship series so that is where you go to the olympics that is where you make real money that is where you get national team funding um so if you're not quite there you're probably hanging on by a thread basically right. Um, and once you're there, 
like we were, you were saying a second ago, your position is not really guaranteed. Um, someone could be hustling for points, you know, in Latin America or Canada or Africa or whatever from your country. And then they can take your starting spot at a WTS <laughs> event. Um, I mean, you know, the top guys, they're not really in danger, but for the third or fourth or fifth or sixth place guy or girl, um, you know, you're never guaranteed really because the points change almost every week based on people traveling around and grabbing them up. So for me to say I was, I was guaranteed, long way of saying I was not, you know, a shoe in or anything like that. I mean, I was able to get into WTS events right. pretty easily, which is the, the, the key really to getting into the Olympics. Um, I was getting into those. I was in that top, the top six is really where you want to be because that's usually how many, um, people they can send to a world championship race level race. Um, so I was in there. I was in that pocket. I was kind of rotating between third and fourth and I think it was second for a little while in the US. Um, and then, yeah, I was riding down PCH with my team. I was training with Siri Lindley um, and a car pulled off to get into her driveway um, just right in front of us without checking her mirror. Hit my teammate. He went over the car um, and broke off her rear view or side view mirror. Um, and then I was second wheel to him and I hit the side of her car and that broke now broken side view mirror, um, oh. which was, you know, like this claw shaped thing at that point. Um, so I, you know, I hit the ground not too hard. It was, you know, it sucked, but it was more awkward than anything else. I'm laying there. I'm like, yeah, I think I'm okay. I think I'm going to get up. And my teammates are all behind me and they're like, nah, man, don't get up. And I'm like, no, yeah, I think I'm okay. I think I'm okay. And I look down on the ground and there's just like growing pool of blood, just like, uh, like getting bigger and then streaming down the side of the road. And I'm like, man, where is that coming from? And I look over at my arm and it's like oh. layers, like layers. You can see the fat. You can oh. see, oh, it was so gross. Um, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to sit down. So did you go into shock? I've seen that somebody have something like that. And then, you know, they looked at the bone and went into shock and it oh, was really bad. So yeah. actually I have a great shock story. <laughs> it didn't happen at that moment, but they get me in the ambulance because they thought I hit an artery. I think I just missed it. Um, they get me in the ambulance. I was at UCLA. They have a shock trauma unit, um, which is basically like you get in, there's like a really crazy, like a uh, digital clock on the wall that starts when you get in and it's like all hands on deck. Like, you know, like five specialists are on you and the clock's running and you're like, well, this is so intense. I'm totally conscious. Right. Um, but at some point they look down, they're like, okay, we're going to cut off his Jersey. Obviously, you know, we got to get right. to the, what's going on. And they're like, they're like, where are you hurt? And I'm like, Oh, I think just my arm, you know, maybe I, I bruised my legs or knees or something like that. No, there, there's blood source coming somewhere else, somewhere else in your legs. And I'm like, Oh really? And I look down and I'm not kidding. I'm wearing a rock and racing. This is so old. Rock racing um, cycling kit. And the design of the kit was white with red blood splotches. Like that was the design <laughs> of the kit. I'm not even joking you. I still have it. And so they think there's like multiple wounds on my legs because of the blood splotch design. So they're like, we got to cut off his shorts. Like we got to cut them off. And I'm like, no, do not cut off my shorts. There are 10 people in this room. You know, there's women. Like I, I'm not. This is cool what you're worried this. about. Okay. I'm freaking out. And I'm like, I don't cut off my shorts. Don't I'm not wearing anything underneath them. And, and they're like, no, he's going into shock. He's going into shock. I'm like, I'm not going into shock. Just don't cut off my shorts. So they start cutting off my shorts. I'm like fighting them on this. Then they hit me with like the morphine because I was quote going into shock. Okay. And then, you know, good night. So I did 
th- technically, I may have gone into shock, but not for it was embarrassment shock. <laughs> Humiliation okay. <laughs> but that, I mean, that pretty much ended then your, My your Olympic plan. Yeah. 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 Cause honestly, I mean, I didn't break anything, but it was two to three weeks out of the pool. Um, and, uh, as you can probably attest as a, as a not like fastest swimmer in the right. pro field, I think we can both agree we're on the same page. Um, two weeks out of the water just buried me. And okay. no way I'm making the front pack. I think I did a couple races after that just to see. But if you're not front pack, it's it's not happening. So, um, so yeah. And then and then like I said, like once you kind of slide out of those points, um, you give up you give up a couple starting spots. Uh, there's, there's no makeup. You know, there's no second chance for it. It's very it's a very tenuous situation. Um, which yeah, I, think most I, mean, people I definitely. Don't understand. Yeah, I feel bad for like the American women for sure, because like you just said, they only get six starts or whatever. But yeah. the women who are like six, seventh in the US are top 30 in the world. Like, They're so, so good. Yeah. yeah. So so what you're not seeing as a, a fan of triathlon is you're not seeing this battle for that for the start spots. Like mm. all you're seeing is, OK, so and so made the Olympic team. So and so, you know, got this place at the World Championship Series event. Um, but you're not seeing that behind the scenes, like, you know, oh, so-and-so didn't even get a start. They're not even in Yokohama. Right. And there could be many reasons for that, um, you know, aside from getting hit by a car. <laughs> right, um, right. But, but yeah, and so that person doesn't even, their name's not even on the list. Like, you know, they could be great, like you were saying. They could be one of the fastest, you know, these are the people who end up going to, you know, 70.3 worlds. And everyone's like, where'd this person come from? This this woman got top five. It's shocking. And you're like, yeah, she's amazing. But, you know, there are six amazing women in front of her who, you know, did, you know, maybe travel better or right, right, right. Yeah, millions uh, of reasons. Yeah. I mean, um, to your point, I think Ben Canute got a start super last minute at Yokohama this weekend. And now he's yeah. trying to go for his spot on the team, you know, prove that he should be on the mixed relay. But I think he only got a spot because ooh, one of the other guys dropped out for so I think it was like a co- whatever travel related issue. Yeah. Um, so super, super crazy, super last minute. Very weird. I can't. I would not envy that situation. Like, cause those guys, I mean, you say we, we were talking to some of the other US guys, you know, mm-hmm. recently. And it's like, you know, they are laser beamed on Yokohama. They are right. laser beamed on the next couple months. And, you know, like so many things could go wrong. You know, you lose your luggage. You, you know, it's yeah, tell us what is I mean, so like you mentioned, you had to fly around to Latin America, to Africa, to Asia, to camp, whatever, everywhere to get points yeah. in on cups to work your way up. What are some of your craziest travel stories? How much did you have to? Oh, my gosh. Go so all around? It is an absolute circus. Like at the <laughs> at the top level, like, yes, you have support staff. And but still, it, it is like it's almost like, you know, being in a band. Or something like that. Okay. You know, like you've got this, you've got your your road crew or whatever, but you're still, you know, you're living out of a suitcase and, you know, you touch down in Yokohama and you're like, I don't know what any of this food is. I don't even know how to like understand the words on the menu and I've got to be in, you know, peak nutritional shape. So, so that's, that's a big thing. I mean, I think there's just so many intangibles of constantly changing scenery, um, as, as a pro, like I raced in, um, my, my, probably craziest story and i'll try to go through it fairly quickly <laughs> is latin america was like it's like ripe for um getting points because the travel is not super crazy if you have a passing you know understanding of spanish you can get by um it, you know so i would go down to latin america i did one race in chile 
um, years ago and got a lot of points, did really well. And my next race was supposed to be in Brazil. And at the last, it was a weird team event. And at the last minute I'm in Chile in the hotel and the race director from Brazil calls and, or emails me and says, look, you guys are no longer welcome in Brazil. Um, one of your teammates, I won't mention who it'd be impossible <laughs> to figure out, honestly. Um, but he, he raced up till recently. Um, you know, one of your teammates is being difficult. I can't, I won't say why I don't know, but <laughs> so, so you guys are not welcome. Like us is out, not coming to Brazil. And the race director was supplying me with my ticket home because I was going to go oh, Chile, yeah. Brazil home. And so I'm like, great. I live in Chile now. So I tell a couple of the other guys in the circuit who are in Chile with me and they say, oh, we're doing a race in Argentina. You should come with us to Argentina. You know, like, like this sure. is not like pro level racing. This sounds like, you know, a bunch of derps and like, you know, like backpacking through Latin America, you know, right, like, oh, right, you right. come with us to Argentina. Yeah, we'll go to Argentina. So whatever. So 10 hour bus ride through Argentina later where we had to stay up in shifts because it was like a municipal bus. So it'd stop at every bus stop and people are fooling around with our luggage at every bus stop. Um, so we had to watch that. So no one slept, um, <laughs> get to Argentina, middle of nowhere. Um, it was this crazy race with like a down river start and like these big, like islands of vines in the river that were apparently full of poisonous snakes and it poured rain on us. And, you know, like just so many crazy things, but I raced well. Like, you know, and, and everyone, everyone there was in the same boat. You know, there's guys from Italy who like a guy from Italy gave me like a seat post clamp or something nice. because okay. he had an extra and mine, of course, fell out of the bike box. Like, you know, simple things happen. Where are you going to find a seat post clamp for a felt AR1 aero frame in La Paz, Argentina? Like, you never know. Maybe. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, it's stuff like that. Like it, it and that's that's obviously like at the lower level, like that's Continental Cup. Right, right. And clearly you eventually made it home from Argentina. I did. Yes. I (laughs) I made enough money um at the the Argentina race actually to to help with the plane ticket and and all that stuff. But like, yeah, you know, it's 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 a circus. And even at the upper level where you have the support staff, it's still you know, and USAT and so on is paying for a a lot of that stuff. Um, Yeah, once you're on the national team or or like or certainly like, you know, the top end French uh, guys or the British girls like they have people. Yeah, yeah, they have people. But like your body's still in a weird country in a weird hotel with weird food options and weird, you know, training locations like different. I think the word you're looking for is different food options. It's weird. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> ordering a pepperoni pizza in Tongyang, South Korea and getting a pizza with squids on it. That's weird. That's not different. <laughs> All right. So why, why go down this route then, Chris? I mean, you went to Penn state. You have to be like, this is what was always my thing when I was like in the miser- middle of a miserable race. I'm like, I'm smart. I could do something else. Like, why am I doing this? <laughs> no, that's a super good point. Um, and I, I would get that question a lot from people. Um, when I try to explain why I'm doing short course, I mean, for me, like I loved racing. Okay. Like I hated training. I still do. It's just, I'm just not into it. People love going on long rides and like, Oh, the beauty of the mountains. It's like, man, no, forget it. Like if I could race every other day and I, you know, in college it was great. Cause you race all the time. Um, if I could race every other day, I would have done it. And for me, short course, you know, and specifically ITU, um, you know, you recover faster, the races are mm-hmm. shorter. Um, not that they're easier, but you know, it's less abuse on your body. 
you know, you screw something up halfway through the race, you've got two more that month. And, right. you know, you haven't put all your eggs in that, you know, taper basket or you haven't beaten yourself up so badly like you do in long course. Um, so, yeah, I just loved to race. That was it. It was. So how did you I mean, because you ran in college. So how did you get yeah. into try? And I mean, you mentioned like, oh, you were in a great swimmer. Obviously, eventually you became a perfectly fine swimmer in the yeah. swimmers. But yeah. how would you even get into try? Um, so I. So I swam in high school mm. and people always, right. When I say that, they're like, oh yeah, yeah. So you're a really good swimmer. Like <laughs> our swim team in high school, it was only, it only like, I only did it because we didn't have indoor track. Like running was hundred percent my thing. Um, and like, I would show up to practice in board shorts. Like, oh, okay. I would, Solid. I would do open flip turns. And I mean, I did the, I think I did the 500 once and I pretended to over rotate on my flip turn because I learned that if you stand up in the middle of a race, you're DQ'd. So I'm like, <laughs> oops, over rotated on my flip turn and stood up. Like, guess you got to DQ me. I'm like, nobody over rotates on a flip turn and like, like that's nothing, you know, like that doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, so that was the vibe of my high school swim team. So, I mean, I knew how to swim and I knew what swim workouts were, but, um, I was never efficient. I was never a great swimmer. Um, okay. So I did I did it mostly to just break up the monotony of college running. Um, it's just, it's a lot of miles. Was there the um, college like recruitment program at the time? You know how USAT was going out and recruiting college runners, college swimmers, and teaching them how to ride a bike? Was that a thing or how did you find triathlon? No, um, super good question. No, that came along after mm. me. Um, we had, there were like standards you could try to hit to get like, mm -hmm consideration for funding um but like for anyone who's ever tried to qualify or um like try to figure out if they're going to make a college team in a sport they post the standards basically to discourage the terrible people right i mean like not everyone hits the standards and some of them move on into that program um but no there definitely weren't recruiting um i mean i was beating down doors i was bothering people with emails i'm sure usat was stoked when i stopped racing because i was like the most annoying person, like in terms of persistence from the day I decided to start doing it and until the day I, I retired. Okay. Um, but so yeah, if anyone's listening and wants to get an ITU, you got to beat down doors. Like that's just, although the recruitment program is great now. Now, um, yeah, they go out for sure and recruit yeah. more. Yeah. Um, but no, they didn't have that when I was racing. So um, why, why, why did you get this in your head? Why start beating down doors? Um, like when I was coming to the end of my college career with running as a junior and a senior, I got way better. Um, mm. And I maybe could have eked out like a journeyman level, you know, uh, pro running career mm -hmm. for a couple of years. But I mean, I looked at it and I was like, look, I could do that. And I travel to places like Kansas City or like, you know, like Oklahoma or Sacramento, like places that are fine. But like, I was like, I kind of want to see the world. Okay. Um, and so I'm thinking like, you know, triathlon has races in really cool places. <laughs> like Argentina. Um, like Argentina. Um, and because I was such a good runner, uh, I was able to, you know, catch people on the mm -hmm. run pretty often. Um, I think, I think if I had known, to be honest, if I had known how crucial the swim was, and I don't think most people, probably most listeners understand how crucial it is in ITU. I don't know if I would have kept with it. Mm. Um, but, you know, my first few races and pro races were all non-draft. So I was like, hey, look, you know, I can eat up that that minute or minute 30 down in the run. Like, no problem. Or even on the bike, you know. And then in right. the run, I'm, I'm in the mix. Um, but I didn't realize how it's such a hard stop. You know, you're 30 seconds off an ITU. It's 
it's you basically mean because NITU, like once you're, so you, you start trying non-drafting races. It is what it is. We've all done non-drafting races and you can make up the time. But then right. once you moved into drafting ITU, like you either make the group or you don't. It's pretty right. much the, right. the gist. And especially as you go up, like Continental Cup, even World Cup sometimes, you can eat into the group um, depending on how lazy the front pack is. Um, but at the WTS or, you know, the World Championship racing level, level no. Not happening. Everyone's too fast, and and the bike and the lead pack on the bike. You know, everyone's like, oh, they're just you know farting around on the bike. No, they're they're grinding on the bike. Um, and yeah, that for sure, and especially I feel like in recent years, um, yep. IT racing or whatever we're calling it has not has changed a lot. And it's a lot more dynamic on the bike now, and people are really going off the front. Totally, I think I think the Brownleys changed that a lot. I think Javier, to some extent, um, Gomez, but. You know, like the Brownleys are like, we will swim off the front. We will destroy the bike field and basically guarantee that anyone who didn't make my pack is not only like behind, but like irrelevant. Right, right. <laughs> and then I will run a 29 or 30 and, and just like goodbye. Like, so I, I, that that to me, and I think some of the guys who probably grew up around my um, generation for IT racing um, will probably agree. I think there used to be a little more leeway, like you'd have that good swim biker or, you know, whatever. Um, and sometimes the packs would be lazy or mm -hmm. disorganized. I think you'd still see a lot of, I think also the, the group training thing. Um, like I know we're, we posted a great, um, behind great the scenes look essay. at a squad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with the Joel filial group and that wasn't really so much a thing, um, mm. years ago. And so you're getting IT cyclists now who train in these group settings or sometimes train with pro cyclists right. and you know, their hands off the bars grinding out 400 watts and, and taking in water and, you know, chatting and patting each other on the back. Whereas before it was like, no, you know, like people are still anxious, nervous, like no one's taking turns well, um, you know, all that stuff. So I think it's, it's more organized and obviously the talent's been raised. Yeah, for sure. What was harder to pick up then the bike handling or the swimming? I would guess the swimming. It was the swimming. Yeah. I mean, cause I was always, um, pretty good on the bike. I think because mm -hmm. I, I would ride with um, like pro level guys and, and cycling groups and stuff because um, I was always in a pretty populated area, whereas I think a lot of people like to train on their own. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think uh, I mean, because you move to L.A., right to like, I'm yeah. going to I'm going to do this. I'm going to move yeah. to L.A. and start training seriously, uh, which one I mean, what are your what do your parents say when you're like, hey, mom, <laughs> I graduated college. I'm going to do this. <laughs> Oh, uh, I mean, my mom is pretty, uh, like, do whatever makes you happy kind of thing. Like, I mean, and I, I, I like, I, I moved out to LA. Mm -hmm. I, I saved up a ton of money delivering pizzas. This is a very, like, intense story. I delivered pizzas in Delaware for a year, saved up a ton of money, packed my station wagon, drove across the country with my then girlfriend, now wife. And then we just, like, got jobs. Like, you know, like, I worked at a bike shop because... I knew that I could make connections, you know, in the bike okay. industry and learn about bikes and be around people in the industry. Um, so I was getting like minimum wage plus commission or whatever, you know, like just a regular jobby job, not a career. Um, and then training at night and it sucked and it was terrible. And then when I got enough sponsorship to stop working, I talked to the bike shop owner and I was like, look, you know, I don't need to work anymore. And he was like, that's awesome. Congratulations. We'd love to sponsor you too. And then I transitioned off. So I never had that like, hey, mom, I need money. Hey, like, mom, I need you know, money. Kind of thing, okay. um, which helped a lot, you know, because my mom's just like, I don't know. He's out there doing something. 
you know, it's not bothering <laughs> me. Uh, you know, he's not living in my basement or whatever, which a lot of people do, which you have right. to, like, I'm not right. talking down on that at all. Um, yeah, I was gonna but, say, cause there isn't, I mean, I, like there was, um, a pretty good non-drafting circuit that had money for sure in the U S yeah. it's mostly gone now. And the, much. and there's money still in 70.3 and Ironman certainly more than there is ITU for yep. American athletes, but that's not great as much anymore. And so ITU athletes like, or world triathlon. I mean, they struggle to make money for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think ITU athletes more than anyone else is, are probably the ones living in the basement. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which is why I'm totally not talking down on it. But, but, you know, you can also get a, you know, a jobby job that has something to do with the industry and work mm -hmm. it from two angles. And it's, it's hard and it sucks. Like you will be more tired than your competitors and stuff. But, um, but, you know, it, it wasn't pointless. Like I did right. meet people that would end up helping in many ways. Um, and you learned all about gear and now you're our gear expert. See, it's true. I worked as a bike mechanic. <laughs> like, you know, so now if anyone's like, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. It's like, mm, mm -hmm. I do a little bit. I mean, so. Um, but yeah, no, ITU, it's, it's a total labor of love. Like mo almost every ITU athlete you will talk to at any level. You're like, why are you doing this? They're almost always like, you know, I had this Olympic dream as a six-year-old swimmer or, mm -hmm. you know, 15-year-old runner. Um, that's usually where it is. And so, like, that really drives a lot of right, it. Right, right. Um, for me, it was honestly, it was more like the travel and meeting people and getting lots of experiences. Like, I was never a Olympic, like, you know, Olympic rings in my eyes kind of thing. You didn't um, get the tattoo? I did not get the tattoo, but maybe I would have. Yeah. I don't know. I can't say <laughs> if you if you went okay, but obviously you had to. I don't want to say learn to swim, but learn to swim faster. <laughs> and when you went out to LA, you started working with Tower Twenty Six. Is that right? What are yep. some things that like people could take from this if they want to get faster swimming later in life? Absolutely, and it took me years um, to get that like to really figure out what I needed. And everyone's different. Like, no, that's not helpful, Chris. Thanks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but so I did. I did a lot of different things. I. First tried um, learning on my own. That never works. <laughs> I can tell you for a fact that works for no one. Um, I then went to uh, to Jerry Rodriguez. Um, it was before Tower 26, but uh, while I was with him, it became Tower 26. So he was my coach. Um, and we did a lot of volume. Okay. Like a lot. Um, like how much is a lot? Oh, man. I mean, we were doing... It would have been 20 to 30 K a week, maybe more 30 okay. to 40. Um, okay. It was a lot. Like, I mean, they were, yeah, like between three and six K days. Six Very days like, a uh, what's the word? Uh, one of my old school swimmer friends said five K a day keeps the slow away. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. It was a lot. And like, to be fair, like maybe I needed that at that point in mm -hmm. my career. Um, and we did. Actually, a lot of the open water specific stuff that Jerry does now, um, we started working on that like halfway through when I was working with him. So it was it was a very different program than what it is now. Um, so, you know, I don't want to say right. Jerry's thing is high volume. That was very specific. And he actually changed that a lot. Um, so then we transitioned to open water specific skills in the pool. Hmm. Um, which is more similar to what Tower 26 is today. And so what that looks like for people who don't know, you know, you're taking out lane lines. Um, you're swimming, you know, shoulder to shoulder with um, other people in your group mm -hmm. or you're getting three to a lane 
and doing, you know, fifties where you got to figure out how to manage that. Right. Um, like that was huge. Like, because for me, it was like, I don't know if I was ever going to get technically as good as, you know, a lot of the people who swam club as, um, as like youth, like that's really like, that's a tough person to catch up to, Mm -hmm. um, that youth club swimmer. Um, because they just have such a feel for the water. They, their body moves in it a certain way. They're flexible in ways, especially that runners aren't, um, you know, like, like our feet just aren't flexible and the ankles, they just, you know, stick down at right angles and act like anchors instead of fins. Um, so, I mean, we did a lot of that open water stuff, you know, just getting comfortable with someone being right on you, you know, you're in their armpit Their, you know, their elbow might be hitting you every once in a while. Um, and that was huge for ITU because ITU is such close quarters um, because everyone's so fast and the swim is so important. And that first buoy is so crucial. So, um, you know, for me, that was important. But for, you know, for our listeners who obviously aren't racing ITU. Um, Some just, of them might be racing ITU. If, yes. If you're listening to this for ITU advice, you probably don't take it from Chris. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like just just getting that comfort level. Um, of being around people because like the reality of triathlon swimming is like you are going to be around people and I know mm-hmm. like with rolling starts and obviously the, the latest kind of stuff um, that might be a little bit different mm-hmm. um, but I'm always shocked at how much triathletes focus on pool swimming pool times um, you know they're, they're tied to the clock in a way that I think doesn't really correlate to mm. triathlon racing um, where uh, and, and you'll be like, oh yeah, once every other week I work on sighting or once every other week I go into the open water or I never swim with next to someone because it's uncomfortable. I mean, right. I understand if you don't have someone to swim with, like whatever, but like, no, we like our space. We like our five second send. We like our master's workout. Um, like you're not getting a five second send, you know, in, in a try. Maybe you are for a rolling start, but people are going to pass you. You're going to pass people. Right, right. Um, so all that like real world practical stuff, that's where I started turning a corner and my okay. volume went down and near the end of my career, I was doing all, all of my swims except maybe one a week in the open water. Um, and I was way faster in races than I ever was. And sure, you know, the volume accumulating has something to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those years of swimming, but, but I just felt more comfortable. Like I was sighting as a part of my stroke, like it was just like my arm recovery, you know, like just as natural and as a part of that flow as, um, you know, as uh, having a good kick or, um, yeah, it's interesting. Cause I know you like still like, I don't think you've been in a pool forever, but you do a lot of yeah. swimming still, like you still yeah. go to the open water all the time. Yeah, right. All the do you time. actually like it more? Cause I'm always just like, Ugh. that See, I honestly, <laughs> like, I hate to say, but that's part of it too. Like, um, I mean, I live in an area where the open water swimming is beautiful. Right. Like it's, it's not like that for everyone. Um, but it is also slightly terrifying. Like, I mean, I'm not saying like people get scared. I'm not saying that's what you're saying, but. Oh no, I definitely get scared. Let's be clear. Okay. I hate okay. animals. I, just, I don't want to make any assumptions. Out. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I do these swims down in the Palos Verdes Peninsula where I've never seen another person swim. Like I'm swimming okay. around caves and huge kelp forests and I'm like way deep out in the water and I'm like. Dude, let alone is there no one in the water around here? Like, I can't see anyone on land. Okay, to and be clear, like, we're not advising that people do no, that. And no, if no, you no, don't no. show up for work one day, I'm going to be like, well, he probably drowned. Like, I probably did. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but the, the point being, 
is that freaked me out for a long time. Right. And I, I asked, you know, divers in the area. I made very sure that I wasn't taking unnecessary risks. I mean, mm -hmm. I knew the currents weren't bad. I knew that the the marine life was not dangerous. Like, you know, I wasn't just being an idiot. But okay. but even knowing all that, I was still freaked out. Right. Um, and so just getting that comfort, it's like anything like, you know, think about if you ride in a group for the first time. Like you could be the strongest guy or girl, but you're tense, right? Like Dude, you're Chris. I rode in a group for the first time forever a couple weeks ago and someone crashed right in front of me and I was like, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Stop freaking out our listeners. I'm trying to relax everyone. Um, no, but like, but totally, you know, like you, you get tense, like, or running in a pack. People get right. tense running in packs. And so some of your energy is not going to going fast. Some of your energy is going to like, am I going to die? I'm right. so like freaked out right now. Um, but now I find myself on these swims and I'm relaxed, you know, like I know nothing's going to get at me because I've been out there enough. My, you know, I know how to navigate the kelp. I know the kelp's not going to strangle me to death. I know, you know, I mean, I swim with a knife. So just in case, <laughs> <So> but <laughs> um, also not something we recommend. Also don't listening. recommend that. But yeah. so, but the, the point being, you just get a certain comfort level in, in a situation like open water. And it lets you focus on your stroke now or your speed now or, you know, sighting accurately or right. getting, you know, like I, I'm so good um, with tracking in open water. And that's something people don't talk about. Like I know how to track well in open water. Like hmm. I don't need to sight that much. I do because it's a part of my open water stroke now. Um, but like I swam with my brother the other day and he was sighting just as much as I was. And he was all over the place. Like right, he's right, just right. not comfortable in the open water. Um so that, I mean, I think that's huge. I think triathletes, like it's, you know, you got to get out of the master's mindset. I know it's fun, but if you really want to improve on race day, which is the point for most people, not for everyone, not for um, you just got to get in the open water more, or you got to do more of these open water, like bodies on you, no lane lines, closing your eyes sometimes while you're swimming in the pool. Like that's real. Um, working sighting into your stroke, like these things have to happen if you're going to improve. Like, you know, it, it's like we never say try, we always say never try anything new on race day. And yet a lot of triathletes will sight for the first time in a month on race day, which yeah, is Yeah, I got to tell wild. you, my very first race, I think someone told me what sighting was like as we were going to the starting line. Like yeah. I didn't really, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's so, and it's so important. It's like, if you're not sighting, you are swimming with your eyes closed. Like really, you know, well, or you're just fairness, following yeah. you're just some, some ding dong who doesn't know where they're people. going. That's why I follow right. Yeah. Right. But, but even that, like, you know, like you don't, you don't do that motion with your head to look at someone's feet while you're in a, you know, while you're swimming by yourself in a pool, like that changes your stroke. Like th yeah. these are all things that change. I think the way you swim, um, because like the pool swimming situation is so foreign, really, when you compare it to the reality of a triathlon race. That's true. Yeah. interesting all right all this insight so what like now obviously you're still open water swimming i know you go on these like random run adventures you yes. only ride bikes when we make you test them for work so what <laughs> i mean do you still like one why you know why did you decide to quit triathlon do you miss it are you like watching the wts races the yokohama's weekend and like oh i wish i was there <laughs> <laughs> yes and no like i i do miss the um like like IT or, you know, draft legal racing. Let's just say that. Let's, right. Let's go. Um, there is such a buzz to that. Like anyone who's done ITU, um, there's, they might not do it anymore, but there's a drum right before the start goes off. It's like, dung, dung. 
And there's like this <laughs> long pause and you're like, what? Dung, dung. And then seriously, sometimes there'd be like helicopters rising up, you know, depending on the level of the event. I'm not even kidding. And you were like, this is the most real thing ever. Like, <laughs> this is so intense. And you're next to like these crazy Russian guys and, you know, some French guys super fast and the Spanish guy. And it's just like that, like, I, I definitely miss that. Like okay. the, the buzz of that. The, dr- um, the, the adrenaline, the thrill. Yeah. Yeah. And just knowing that like, yeah, like you're not getting a second shot at this. Like you fail at this, <laughs> like you've failed. Like that, that's <laughs> it. And like everyone is going to see you do it. And so you're like, you better step up. Like I, I like that. Okay. Um, that kind of pressure you don't find. Um, you know, in regular in a, life, no. In regular life, yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah. I mean, some people might <laughs> people put enough pressure on themselves, I guess, but I don't. So I need the external, um, the drum. Uh, okay. But yeah, but aside from that, like hearing all these stories about people like having to pack all this dry food because right. they don't know what they're going to eat in Yokohama, and and you know, uh, one lady got her luggage lost. Right, right. Like, you, yeah. Forget that. Like that. That intangible stuff that can ruin you know, four years of work. Nah. I mean, especially right now, this is why I was texting somebody who was, like, was lost and everything uh, with the COVID stuff right now. I mean, they can't leave their hotel rooms. They can only oh, work out oh. at certain times, at, like set place, like literally can't leave their hotel. And you're, that just sounds pretty brutal right now. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I can't imagine it's, it's like you're tripling down on an already foreign and difficult situation with, mm-hmm. with COVID. Like, pff, I mean, I'm not even thinking about that. That would be <laughs> horrifying. And, and it's not like you'd be like, Oh, I'll just lay back and wait till the pandemic's over. You yeah. know, and get it on the second try or, you know, four years from now. Nope. That's, no, that's why all these uh, Americans are in Yokohama this weekend, even though it's like insane, even though you had to print like these, like Katie's affairs bought, bought a printer to print all the paper that oh she needed gosh. to bring. Because this is the last auto qualifying event. This is it. Like you're saying, this is your only chance. Don't yeah. screw up. Like, no, I know. And, and, and you will have no recourse. Like the nope. train, the circus moves on with or without you. Like that, that, that was the thing I learned when I retired. Like, People are still out there in Venezuela and, you know, Argentina racing. People are still in Europe, tired, in Australia doing training camps. And, like, you know, you're left behind. I don't know. <laughs> left behind. I, I, I don't miss that feeling. But um, did you yeah. officially retire? Did you like, all right, I'm retiring? Or did you just kind of like slowly uh, stop? I think I did what a lot of people do. And this is this is something if you're if you follow pro racing and one of your favorite pros starts doing Xterra a lot. Uh-huh. Uh, there are a couple people who are doing yep, that right I know. now. I, I, I know. Um, and I'll tell you this. I'm not knocking Xterra. Xterra is so fun. I also um, think it's going to have a boom this year because of yeah. uh, all the different reasons. You know, people looking for close to home, small races, off totally. of roads. Yeah. Yeah. I did a year on the Xterra um, Pro Circuit and mm-hmm. it was awesome. Like, so fun. The vibe was completely different in such a positive way. Um, but I think I did, I, I probably stepped out of the ITU or was just stepped out basically because, (laughs) you know, like once you stop getting points and your name starts sliding on that ranking list, it's like, you're done. Yeah. They, they retire you, (laughs) um, which sounds brutal, but it is. Um, and I think I did some non-draft and then honestly, like, okay, so you want to hear my story about why I really retired? Okay, sure. Yes. Tell us. (laughs) Go. (laughs) Okay. So I was at... One of the high V races, yes. um, high V was that big prize purse race back in the day. And I was, it was a couple nights before the race. I was in a hotel in Des Moines mm-hmm. okay? and I'm stretching on the ground after my workout and I'm laying on the ground there and I look up at the bottom of the desk, like, you know, the desk they have built into the hotel rooms 
and I noticed a sticker. It was like a brewery sticker or something stupid. And I remember specifically that same sticker from me being in that hotel room a year or two before. And it freaked me out. I'm like, (laughs) I have been in this hotel room before. Not just this hotel, but this room doing the same thing. And I was like, nope. Like, Like, not fun anymore. Not having fun. Yeah. And I think I think they had like it was like a festival at that point, the Hy-Vee thing. And so they had like some like 80s band coming through or something. And the whole thing just felt like super grim to me. You know, like, am I this 80s band? Am I yes. this band coming back trying to like just do this thing forever? Like, is that me? It was a very like dramatic moment. As you know, I like dramatic moments. But yes. um, yeah, so that's when I was like, nope, Xterra. I've never been to any of those places. I've never been to Alabama. Never been to, um, you know, where else they have Utah um wherever they were you know i'm just like that's what i want to do and then i did that got my butt kicked like oh, yeah. super hard i'm sure you were uh, first out the, i did it once first out of the water then yep. i think uh i started crying on the bike which oh. is not great when there's like lots of rocks that descended then i was like stop crying you can't see if you start crying this is a good rule of crap on <laughs> so then i was like hyperventilating <laughs> it was really bad was it at altitude too yeah, that's the other thing yeah. yes yeah <laughs> Because they're often at altitude. So you're just like, why am I dying? Like my insides are dying. What is happening to me? I thought I was a good cyclist. Josiah Middaw has put 40 minutes into me on the bike. Right. I thought we were both at the same level. Nope. Nope. Um, so yeah. And, and that was like both humbling, but also like I had more fun with it because yeah, there was yeah, just yeah. no pressure. I'm like, whatever, you know, okay. like. Do so. you obviously, I mean, now it's like kind of funny because you're not really a triathlon anymore, but you're around triathlon all the time. All we do is talk about triathlon. It's true. And uh, I'm, everyone asks all the time, right? Like, have you done an Ironman? You're going to do an Ironman. Oh, my gosh. You're do, are you? Are you? So that was the thing that bugged me when I was doing IT racing. Right. Um, I would be on a plane and people would ask, what do you do? And I would say, oh, I'm a professional triathlete. And I'd immediately know I need to start explaining myself right. further. And sometimes people are like, oh, that's the, the thing in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, yeah, that is a triathlon, but I do, you know, shorter races. Um, that's called Ironman. And they're like, oh, well, you know, someday you'll do an Ironman. Like, you'll get there someday, buddy. And I'm like, ah, I'm actually on the U.S. national team. Like, yeah, but, but it's too late. You know, like their mind is shut. Like they, they have their picture of you as like this young, like, you know, not there yet guy. Um, so that, that was really frustrating. And I think, it, I think eventually I got really snappy with it, like okay. near the end of my career where I'd be like, I'll do Ironman when I slow down and get old. And then just like, that's rude. Well, like, why, why did you say that to me? <laughs> right, right, um, right. And it's not true. Right. But, Obviously, like the ITU athletes who have moved over, I mean, some of them are not have not had success like brownlee did yeah. not have success, as much success as he wanted but like obviously jan since you were daniela's crazy yep. yeah so. yeah i mean you know there's there's a kernel of truth sometimes but i was mostly just being rude um <laughs> but uh but no like iron man like i said like the iron man thing was never for me because it was like one race a month maybe three mm-hmm. a season um and just the training and the hours and it just didn't appeal to me i did um god i don't know i th- honestly the only iron man i've ever done is Kona. You did it as a guide, right? Exactly. I didn't even have to qualify. So I'm like one of the few people who can say in recent history, because they used to have short course qualifiers, um, that I did Ironman. The only Ironman I've done is Kona um, because I was guiding a a blind athlete. Um, That's going to be a little brutal. First Ironman guiding someone. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like (laughs) there was just like no pressure on me. Um, You know, like I, 
you know, it wasn't really racing in, in that sense. Like mm -hmm. I was more just like, you know, helping him pace. And, and really it's like, as a journalist and, you know, as a writer, it's like, my job was to just like observe everything carefully, right. you know, and I love doing that. So I'm like, Oh, you know, watch out for this, watch out for that. Let's speed up. Let's slow down. You have something on your right, something on your left. Um, so in many ways, like it was the ideal Kona experience because I got like, my only job was to soak it in. And like, I even, I wrote a story about it too. So it was mm -hmm. like, you know, like I didn't care. I finished. I mean, obviously I wanted to make sure I was there to support my buddy. Right. And like, I didn't want to slow him down. Um, but that, that wasn't, I wasn't stressed about that. We had trained enough. Like we knew each other well. You got to like appreciate, like I, whatever, I got in this position one time, right? Where, you, and you're not really racing, but you're with somebody else who, and you yeah. get to appreciate all, you're like high-fiving everybody. Yeah. You're like, I'm amazing. Oh, uh, it was so awesome. Like the only downside to it, and this is, I don't know, whatever. Like for him, like this was a culmination of like so much work. Right. You know, like it was, it meant so much to him and his family. Um, and so we're coming through the shoot and it's like, pure like just like you always right. see in the kona broadcast you know like yeah, that's real like the, the oh, yeah. intensity and emotion is real and they're coming through and they're crying and it's like you know his daughter's there and it's so great and everyone's like how do you feel like you finished kona and i'm like i was just here to help him like you know like, <laughs> you weren't my, you weren't crying yeah. right like i mean it wasn't my goal was to help him but it wasn't right. a lifelong goal to help him you know right. it was just to make sure he got through safely um and so like you know the emotion was a little bit lost on me so maybe i didn't get the the proper mm. kona experience because i think that's that's a major component of it um it's just knowing it's the you crying know, yeah 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 knowing you put everything on the line and you know this was something you didn't think you could do and and then you did it or or you you know you raced faster than you thought you could or you beat all these people on a world stage um, i actually think most people's experience is that they did not race as fast as they thought they well, could no, that's for you sure have to no. like struggle oh projectile vomit oh. being the med tent like that's actually more the typical the it's, typical it's such a stupid place to hold a race <laughs> like anyone who's been there is like yep anyone yep. who hasn't been there, like whoa that's a really callous observation about a beautiful event nope no it's pretty no. brutal it yeah no those, like my husband got off the plane and uh went for a run and was like they expect you to do what <laughs> like, I, know. I know i mean i i think anyone who goes to kona to watch We'll have a new appreciation, especially for the pros, because it's just like you're expected to perform fast like this. Like this is stupid. It's so stupid. Like that's the only yeah, that's the only way I look at at Kona, especially like oh, Iron Man in general. Sure. I'm just like ridiculous. But but Kona is pretty bad. Yeah, it's so stupid. Yeah, but it, I mean, it's a great event. I'm not saying it's the event great. Itself it's is wonderful. Stupid. It's great. The conditions are stupid. You know, like all all that stuff. I mean, the event's fantastic. I love it. But. Um, speaking of events, so Yokohama is this weekend. That's yes. obviously kind of why we're talking uh, ITU. Yep. It's the uh, it's the final auto qualifier for the U.S. Not not for every country, but for the U.S. And mm -hmm. certainly kind of the start of the post COVID build back up to the Olympics. Yeah. What should we be watching for, Chris? Are there like things we should be noting? Are there like now that we have like an inside scoop on ITU? Yeah. So the women's race is going to be so intense. Like mm -hmm. someone super deserving, it could potentially be left off the team. Off like, the I US think, team. Yeah. yeah. You, you, yeah. you touched on that earlier. Like, like, you know, our three through six could be on many other countries, top three. Mm -hmm. like that and that's crazy um so there's just such a and we saw that at the last qualifier you know katie yeah. crashed katie was you know basically a shoo-in and katie still has to qualify i mean yeah there's a discretionary thing but 
Um, but you know, like she's probably anxious about the race this weekend. I mean, I would be. I think, I think, I think that's the, the vibe. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, um, so, so that, that to me is like, I mean, that's like pure drama. Like right. you potentially someone could qualify who maybe thought they couldn't or who wasn't the shoe in for the U S women, um, mm-hmm. specifically. Um, I think we saw that a little bit with summer. I mean, I think. You right, like Summer is really good for sure. Um, and obviously she got fifth at the test event and qualified and like has consistently been up there. But I don't think she was at the top of anyone's like no, list. No, um, and she certainly wouldn't have been the first and certainly, you know, like maybe second or third. But and so you have potential for someone like that to sneak in there and get that auto spot and be totally deserving and, mm-hmm. you know, like totally have earned it. And that's their like lifelong Olympic dream. Like that's a big deal. Like, yeah. you know, to like I said, like most of the people you see in the ITU, especially at that level, they have been dreaming about this since they were a little club swimmer or mm-hmm. maybe a little middle school runner. Um, so like that's that's huge. Um, then in the men, I mean, I don't know. It's anyone's guess, but yeah, I mean, obviously for the U.S. men, it's a little tough for them uh, just because it's going to take a top eight and uh, both Morgan and Matt haven't. I think they've both been top like one time at a yeah. at a racist level. So that would be a big performance. And then you have this whole thing with like, are the men going to get a third spot or not? Like the US yeah. men, they need to do well enough to earn a third spot, but then the person who does well may not be the one who gets the third spot. And and sadly, that's like a tale as old as time. Yeah. Like that happened in 2008. That happened in 2012. You know, like like for listeners who aren't clear on that, like you can earn your country a spot, like mm-hmm. either two or three spots for most country, most major countries um so you're like hey america here's the third spot you wanted and they're like cool thanks man um we're gonna send someone else in right. that spot so that's like super weird and i'm not, like this is not a critique on usat's um, process or the itu process or whatever um it's just like the way it is unfortunately right, right, right. Because, you know, the ITU or I'm sorry, the World Triathlon doesn't want to force countries' hands and, you know, make decisions for them. Um, but they want better countries to have more spots. Like that's that's kind yeah, of the, yeah, yeah. the tug I mean, of it's, war. it's how it works in every sport. Like a country is yeah. allocated a certain number of spots and then the country can decide how they want to use those spots. So the right. spots are allocated based on how you did overall, but then the country could decide they want to allocate them in some other way. Like totally. it's just So, it so you can end up with some real heartbreak. Um you know, on I love like, how we're like, we're like, watch it this weekend. See people cry. Yeah, I know. It, it, <laughs> but there's so much drama involved. Like, you yeah. know, it's it's like Kona level drama because it's pretty crazy. You know, you only get your your one shot at Kona. You know, for the pros, and that's a big deal. And and you know, like, I mean, yeah, there's a potential for someone to be left out. I I mean, my best guess is the American men will have a hard time getting that auto spot this weekend. Oh but, yeah. Um. But that doesn't make the race irrelevant. I think how far they finish up will impact their qualif- their uh, their slot points and their standing in you know USAT's eyes. Mm-hmm. So you know, I mean, someone who has a breakout race and gets twelfth, and someone who has traditionally been the guy and gets conceivably fiftieth, like that happens in ITU all the time. You know, you right. miss the pack or whatever. Right. Um, it's been a long time since they race, so they don't have a lot of currency. These no, guys going no, into. So, you know, that it's going to matter a lot. Like it's going to be it's going to be dramatic, but maybe in not such a um, obvious way as the women. 
Yeah, yeah. Here's my prediction for the women. I mean, obviously, I think your smart money is on Katie Zafara. She's like yep. defending world champ. I mean, defending is not the right word because technically last year was a world championship, but it was a don't weird one. It. it was a fake one. Yeah. Um. So we have obviously money's on Katie. And even if she doesn't lock down a spot this weekend, because she is coming off like, I mean, I think everyone knows she's talked about it on Instagram. Her dad died suddenly yeah. um, and she's coming off that. And that's brutal. And it's insane. So and it's completely crazy she had to fly back to right you know she had to like pull it together and get back imagine. to back to training oh my god um, so even if she doesn't get one of the you have to be on the podium for the women to get yeah. the spot and so even if she doesn't i would be shocked if they don't name her yeah. my second money's on taylor spivey yep. just because she's been really solid uh she was fourth in the world yep. 2019 but like you just said you could have a crispin Kristen casper you could have a taylor nib pop in there totally get, like who knows yeah possible. It, it could totally happen i mean like Taylor could have qualified at the last one. But she was because, eight summer right, was ahead of her. Because where summer was, yeah. you know, it had nothing to do with Taylor. Like Taylor's performance yeah. was her performance. And if summer had never existed yeah. <laughs> and even someone else had been in her place, you know, let's not just say we're pulling her out. Um, you know, that's that's the thing, man. ITU yeah. it it's not all you sometimes. You just there's so many forces at play. So it's worth it's worth watching. Like it's oh, very exciting. And it's worth you know, brushing up on your homework a little bit before you yeah, watch we it. We've have got stories good... all week on this yeah. and we will include the links and mm -hmm. you should for sure keep following. We'll have how to watch up too. Yep. Um, cause it is a different time. Like it's hard, you know, yeah. it'll be in the afternoon, the day before our time when they're <laughs> racing in the morning, the next day in Japan, but we will have all of that and we'll include the links so that you can, you know, live the ITU experience. That Chris, uh, Chris gave us insight <laughs> into <laughs> Yeah, you guys got all the weird, the weird parts of it. Now, now you'll get to see the pro parts of it, <laughs> the part yeah. that the people actually go to the Olympics and you know have their stuff cool. together. Well, thank you so much for for telling us all about ITU racing and the Olympics, Chris. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Chris for all his insight and for the inside scoop on ITU racing. Hopefully that got you excited for the race this weekend and for all the races coming up in the next few months in the lead up to Tokyo. We'll have links and 